Perverted, brought to you by Sputnik Africa. Hey everyone, I'm your host Victor Anakin and you're listening to Afro Verdict. Large multinational corporations are quite infamous for their habitual exploitation of workers on the African continent. A great example of this is when back in 2007 in Kenya, Unilever Tea Kenya Limited brought in large numbers of laborers to work on one of its tea plantations. Following the country's elections, the workers were attacked by protesters and as a result, many local Unilever employees were injured and even killed. According to the plaintiffs, the company failed to ensure the workers' safety, which resulted in damage to health and property. Now, lawyers on the plaintiff's side argue that Unilever is trying to avoid accepting full responsibility by paying monetary compensation. Now, today I'm joined by Christopher Oya, an advocate of Kenya's High Court, as well as Isaac Yitzhak Mosby, Kenya's Nandi County Assembly Leader and former chairman of a trade union, to discuss this topic. Mr. Mosby, thanks for joining us here on Afro Verdict today. 15 years after the atrocious attacks on the workers of Unilever's plantations, the multinational has finally agreed to make voluntary payments to the victims. Could you give us a background of the events of 2007 and your interpretation of the of this financial compensation? Basically, what I would say, the Inlandi, the, 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 the post-elections violence, uh, did not lead to, into many losses of lives uh, as such, but there were displacement of the workers because they were perceived. They were perceived, um, particularly, you know, the, the, the post-election violence of 2007 were basically, um, it was basically a, a tribal, uh, tribal animosity where the uh, th those who are being targeted were those coming from the tribe of the president then, that is the late Mwai Kibaki, uh, largely Kikuyus. And then again, another section of the tribe in Kenya called the Kisis were also targeted because they were perceived to have been supporting, um, to have been supporting the, the then president of Kenya, that is uh, uh, Mwai Kibaki. So uh, they they were um, re, uh, displaced from 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 their workplace because they were not the natives who are who are permanently resident here. Of course, there were losses of life, but largely they were expatriated from their workplace. They were they lost property, and uh, on this side of Nandi. There has not been an attempt really by those who had been affected uh, to seek uh, legal redress as such, but there were the they, 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 they affected tribes um, lost property. Some, some lives, of course, were lost uh, in especially a town called Nandi Hills, which is the heart, the heart of the, the, where the multinationals are based. In fact, the headquarters of um, Eastern Produce Kenya Limited, which is uh, domiciled in, in the UK, is has has its headquarters in um, has it, its headquarters in Nandi Hills, and that was the, 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 the it was the 
epicenter of the attacks during the post-election violence of 2007-2008. So ideally, there were no major, the, 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 the attacks were not as out, uh, atrocious as they were in Unilever of Kericho, which is our neighboring, um, which is our neighboring county. And I, 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 would, only, I would only say that um, no financial, really, there is no financial compensation uh, that can be sufficient, I should say so, because uh, what the natives here, that is the Nandis, are going through, they were displaced, they lost the prime lands, and um, that anger then were directed, they were seen as occupiers, and they were not seeing any benefit. As we speak now, as a county government of Nandi, the county government of Nandi does not receive a single penny for the monies that they distribute in the form of uh, bursaries for to pay for the school fees of the children of the poor in Nandi. The Nandis now were displaced and they, they are occupying uh, the rocky hills. They, 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 they are basically occupying the, 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 the bad lands of this of this county but the multinationals took the prime land and um, they are they are they are they are reaping huge profits for instance my people now who are growers of the same tea 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 growers supply for, because we don't have the factories my people don't have the factories but they supply these multinationals with the tea that we grow in the adjacent plantations of the of, uh, of the multinationals companies. Mr. Woyer, welcome to our podcast. As someone who specializes in legal matters, take this case apart for us. Yeah, Alexander, this, this is a, a very curious case because uh, the compensation is coming uh, after 15 years of, of the events, which are very unfortunate in Kenya in 2007. But for a, a company on the scale of Unilever to which prides itself in uh, protecting employee health and, and well-being and uh, a beacon of, uh, of observance of, of environment of uh, human rights standards uh, that are set out by the United Nations. It's, it's really surprising that it took them so long, first of all, to, to make this kind of move to, to pay the victims. Um, but it, it it's also should be lost to us that uh, this was uh, coming after uh, a movement from the side of the of the employees. So it wasn't uh, internal from the company's side, and it was a, a reactionary gesture based on the the suits they, they faced uh, in the UK. That's uh, the the Kenyan company as well as the the parent company in the UK. So it's uh, it came a bit too late. So in, in all honesty, the, the company should have uh, taken more steps to to interrogate the, the issues that were being raised without being prompted. And um, if they're saying that they're going to, to make this compensation on a voluntary basis, there's uh, first of all no accountability to it and uh, there's no acceptance of, uh, of of the of the kind of issues that the employees wanted re resolved uh, 
which uh, the court in, in, in the various rulings from the, 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 the UK Court of Appeal all the way to the, to the Supreme Court, they did not agree with the employee's side, but there are issues that uh, needed to be addressed. I know that the primary point was on uh, this, the lack of, of standing to, to sue the, the parent company in the UK, but also the, there are some facts which came out during the case that uh, really present uh, this company in, not in the best of light, given that uh, they even made some provision to protect the infrastructure and, and some management employees. So if uh, if they are making this gesture 15 years after after the event, it's it's not uh, very much in, in good faith. It shows that they had to be prompted and uh, it, it doesn't look well on, on a company in, uh, like Unilever. Thank you. All right. Now, multinational companies are known to generate immense profits from extracting African mineral resources and agricultural resources as well without contributing to the development of the African countries in which they operate. So in your opinion, what can be done to make Western multinational companies more socially accountable in Africa? Yeah, I think the biggest problem for, for African countries is uh, the lack of uh, mechanisms to enforce already existing laws and policies against these uh, multinational companies. We have very beautiful laws that make provisions on the respect for human rights, respect for environmental standards. But when it comes to uh, enforcing them against uh, uh, large companies and, and ensuring that they are socially accountable, there's a challenge. So the biggest problem is, uh, is um, enforcement by the host states uh, and these uh, multinational uh, companies, they have a primary responsibility to, to respect human rights, which uh, has to be inherent. It doesn't need to be prompted by action from uh, the hostess or the victims of, uh, of, of, these, uh, of some of these uh, issues that come up. So local enforcement is a, is a, is a big uh, challenge. But when you look at it uh, keenly, you, you know that some of these companies uh, try to to minimize their, their exposure to local accountability. For example, by outsourcing uh, uh, employee services. So the risk is transferred to, to a third entity or uh, some of the critical uh, decision-making are, are, are not done locally. So the enforcement against the, the local companies need uh, the victims or um, those claiming uh, violations to to sort of go a level higher and uh, in the corporate ladder and, and try to look for the the parent company, which is uh, a challenge because you have to to uh, it's costly to to go and uh, pursue these companies in their in their home countries, and uh, secondly, uh, most of the 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 people were challenging. Uh, who are trying to enforce their rights are are, are very vulnerable at the bottom of the of, of, of the ladder. They're the very vulnerable employees who, who cannot afford uh, um, legal action at, at a scale against this giant multinational uh, company. But uh, having said that, 
enforcement needs to be strengthened by the host governments in Africa to ensure that uh, the laws that we have on environmental, social, uh, and uh, social standards are, are, are adequately enforced against these uh, multinational corporations. There should also be uh, transparency and accountability in within the, the, the contracting uh, or licensing framework that brings in these uh, multinational corporations into Africa. For some sectors, uh, there's need to, to ensure that uh, the pub members of the public also have visibility of some of these uh, contracts that sometimes multinational corporations uh, enter into with, uh, with governments without uh, public scrutiny. So there's need to, to ensure that uh, transparency is also strengthened around, around, around those areas. And then, uh, for, for, for example, in Kenya, we have uh, recent developments in law that uh, try to, to improve their accountability. For example, we have a, 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 ratification, of, uh, a ratification act for certain transactions uh, involving the exploitation of natural resources. So these ones have to go through parliament, for example, oil or, uh, or mineral agreements, what as uh, above uh, $500 million. So when we increase these levels of scrutiny, either through the, the public system or through the, the judicial enforcement system, that will ensure that uh, some of these companies are uh, held to account for any of the issues that arise from the operations locally. Now, building on what you said, many African countries uh, become obviously financially dependent on Western multinationals, which oftentimes leads to multinationals acting with impunity in those countries. What are the ways for the people to protect their rights when dealing with multinational corporations? Mr. Mosby, please, could you take the floor for us first? Mm-hmm. Basically, the, 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 the people have got, um, they have very little, really, I uh, sadly, sadly, the, the, the ordinary person has very little to do with what the multinationals are doing. Let me return called uh, out, out grower empowerment program, out grower empowerment program. Now, this um, what they what what happened here is that um, they, they, those farmers who are growing tea outside the multinationals who usually supply who usually supply tea to the factories owned by the multinationals came together they came together and uh, when there were lease expiry expiry of some of some farms they they came together and bought bits of those farms as we speak now, they've managed to, to buy a whole one division of the tea estates and they now uh, run their own factory too. There was the original one that was seated in the farm of Martin Ashmore that they bought in that company. And uh, they've managed to build their own factory now. A factory called Kamarich, they are able, as we speak now, to compete with these multinationals. 
But sadly, when these people, uh, when they pay, they pay what we call bonuses, the second payments, there is the initial first payment, and then there is the second payment called the bonus. When they tried paying a higher bonus, the multinationals responded by paying even higher. And uh, what they were trying to do, well, they, they tried, or rather they are trying to frustrate this OEP. They are trying to frustrate this OEP through what we call underhand uh, deals and uh, competition, which is not on level playing ground. So the best way to go is for farmers to come together, set up their own factories, and compete with these multinationals. And with the help of the government that is willing, they should be able to emancipate themselves from the, from the multinationals. And again, the workers, the trade unions, if these trade unions were empowered enough, if they were to be strong and robust enough, they should be able to bargain for a fairer compensation for their for their workers. So that 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 example of OEP, Kamarich OEP, is ideally the way to go. And if some other um, friendly nations can support an organization like, like like that, it might spell the end of the operation by them. For those of you that have just tuned in, this is your host, Victor Anakin, and you're listening to AfroVerdict, brought to you by Sputnik Africa. We have now discussed the problem with multinational corporations and their exploitative tendencies on the continent. We also covered the possible solutions needed to overcome this problem. Now, let's see what other options African countries can look for instead of falling for Western companies. Mr. Oye. Explain to us why do countries in Africa keep turning to these huge companies and is there a way that people can stand up for their rights? Yeah, the, yeah there's, a, there's a lot of truth in, 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 uh, in, in your question, Alexander, because uh, a lot of the hostels uh, depend on these multinational corporations. Uh, for They're some of the biggest taxpayers, uh, some of the biggest employers uh, locally. And um, so it becomes a challenge to, to ensure that they abide by, by the law because uh, you really have to to ensure your systems work properly to ensure that uh, they're uh, accountable. So, how can people protect their, their rights against violations by by these uh, by these companies? I think uh, a first step is to ensure that uh, the companies themselves have uh, proper structures in place internally in terms of uh, policies on. Uh, standards of, of human rights to be observed, environmental standards. So these policies have to adhere, for example, to, to local uh, local labor laws. So again, uh, this is uh, something that has to be uh, supervised by the regulators locally to ensure that uh, those policies are in place and they're actually communicated to the employees. Could this form the, the basis for granting the employees standing to enforce uh, uh, their rights. Then uh, another thing is uh, promoting access to the systems of, of redress. 
which uh, is, is local courts. And uh, if there's need to, to support people to enforce their rights uh, outside the country, for example, against the, the mother company, there has to be proper channels through the labor organization, even civil society uh, organizations to ensure that uh, people who are affected by some of these operations have the, the proper support to, to be able to access these, uh, these channels for redress. Then uh, there is a need for regulatory oversight in terms of in, in increasing uh, inspections and, uh, and audits on the operations, uh, policies and practices of these uh, multinational corporations to ensure uh, regular oversight of, of these systems to, so that you you have you you're able to detect if there are any violations or the any risk of potential violations these are detected in time and uh, proper measures taken by the the regulators so those are uh, some of the key areas that i think uh, host governments need to to look at to ensure that uh, their citizens have the, the proper support to enforce their rights Again, this uh, multinational, and uh, one one other thing uh, that I would mention is um, so the forum for for arbitrating or uh, adjudicating some of these claims is is is, uh, is problematic at times because uh, you find a, a global multinational uh, operating in a host country, but it it uh, tries to to divert the dispute resolution procedures to be outside the country. For example, it will provide for arbitration in, the, in, a, in a different country, not in the host state in, in Africa. So that automatically puts the, the local courts at a disadvantage because they'll say, okay, you have this, this, this kind of claim, but you are bound to, to go and arbitrate it in this and this place. So even those uh, those kind of contracts, there's need to have a lot of uh, scrutiny to look at what really works for the local economy and uh, the practicality of enforcing them by local employees. So again, a lot of the work goes back to the to the local regulators uh, in charge of uh, issues to do the employment, environmental standards. Do they ensure that these multinational companies uh, have proper systems internally? If those systems are, are they are they less favorable to local enforcement action, and what can be taken to ensure that what measures can be taken to ensure that uh, uh, local enforcement is is uh, is available? And um, sometimes even the, the assets. Uh, the critical assets and control are, are not in the host state. So even if you have an award uh, against um, a multinational company, there's an additional step that you need to to unlock the fruits of your award. And so the the state has to play a key role in in ensuring that their citizens have access to to those kind of uh, of safeguards. Evidently. These big, large multinational corporations are reluctant to actually care for their employees. So what alternatives do African countries then have instead of collaborating with Western corporations? 
For example, what's your take on the increasing South-South cooperation? Yeah, thanks, Alexander. I, I think uh, collaboration in itself is not is not bad, whether with the Western countries or uh, whether it's South-South. But it has to be on on a sphere of uh, of uh, equality and uh, and transparency. Unfortunately, the, the systems we we have in place in most African countries have, have demonstrated that it's not possible to to achieve this uh, level of equality with uh, some of these uh, corporations, because uh, the the host governments make a lot of concessions to them in in terms of. Uh, tax incentives and, and other economic incentives to ensure that uh, they attract, they continue to attract uh, foreign direct investment. So it's it's a bit skewed in, in, in favor of uh, some of these uh, big investors coming into the local economies. And that's why, uh, as, as you mentioned, right, it's important to, to look at uh, other ways of uh, of improving collaboration. So South-South, uh, are we able to look at uh, our common challenges, uh, common solutions, because the local context of most of these developing nations are, are similar. So what are the areas that they, they can look to to promote uh, cooperation, whether it's in uh, financial uh, cooperation, managing uh, public debt, and uh, focusing on uh, promoting trade facilitation. So in, in Africa, it's fortunate that we have the Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement that uh, the states are very keen to, to explore, to see how to, to improve trade uh, in the continent. So that's one initiative. But beyond that, uh, there are a lot of issues that are still uh, uh, limit South-South cooperation which uh, some of them, I think the main one is the, the kind of public debt that uh, that we have to deal with. If you, you have uh, listened recently to our president, the president of Kenya, he, he has called upon the, the, the North, the, the, the big Western nations, the, the big financial institutions to be fair, to be honest. For example, in the credit rating of, uh, of African uh, nations, uh, the the level of uh, thresholds they need to access finance or um, even the, the cost of getting that finance has uh, has been skewed uh, according to what he's been saying. So that means that uh, there's really need to introspect and look at other alternatives. If, if, we, if we cannot, uh, we cannot continue uh, going through uh, the same pattern of getting public debt uh, at very high cost, uh, having uh, uh, to make a lot of concessions to promote investment. It's, an, it's a threat even to the local industries, uh, the local economy is not really liberated economically. So I think South-South uh, cooperation is a, is a sure way that needs to be explored. You have seen uh, some initiatives, for example, in the in the climate change uh, discussions. We recently had the Africa Climate Summit that seeks to have a, a unified voice on, on some of these uh, global issues. So this shows that uh, it's possible to to bring together the the developing countries and not only to address uh, issues on climate change but economic cooperation and strengthening 
local economies through trade facilitation. So I think that's a way that uh, will help them uh, avoid some of these challenges they face with the, uh, the big corporations resident outside the continent. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me today. It was a pleasure and honor engaging in such a fruitful discussion with the two of you. A fair takeaway, I must say, is that Africa does in fact need to collaborate based on equality and transparency, as Mr. Oya beautifully put it. Dear listeners, thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And don't forget that you can always listen to the Afroverdic podcast on various platforms such as Pocket Casts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Deezer, CastBox, Podcast Addict, as well as AfriPods. Check out our Sputnik Africa Telegram channel, TikTok account, and other socials to always stay up to date on local and global events. For even quicker access, download the Sputnik Africa application. Have a great weekend, everyone, and I'll see you next week. Afro Verdict, brought to you by Sputnik Africa.